Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to this Thanksgiving edition re-release of the Kristen Bell episode. Just thought this would be a really fun one to re-release on a holiday. So hope everyone is having a great week. And uh, listen, if you're into the Thanksgiving thing, great. Hope you have a great one. If you're not, I don't blame you. So uh, sending you lots of love from Tucson, using the excuse to see my family, and uh, I will uh, talk to everyone soon. Make sure to check out the SF Sketchfest lineup. We have uh, released it. We have tickets on sale. We have amazing, amazing shows, including Eric Idle, uh, Monty Python legend, and um, so, so, so many more. So uh, check it out again. As I said before, there are lots of Max Fun family members coming, and I uh, hope to see some of you there. All right, everybody. Talk to you next week. We're 100% recording. Live? Zero. We're live, live not live. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll put your hand together the studio audience really got pumped up they for well you know parents. we have that t-shirt gun so yeah. the second they start getting pounded in the face with those wonderful t-shirts they're, they're ready to be. play yeah. they're ready to play we gave away so much free stuff we really did isn't yeah. it funny that that's like a I, we live in a world where now that's like a trope that's recognized even by people who've never sat in a studio audience or been on the other side because yeah. everyone's seen so many game shows and like heard so much about sort of that like gotta pump them up gotta pump them up well I think it's also deserved to give them free stuff because in truth they're there for a oh, lot longer than the show airs I mean the reality yeah. like I, I always try to look through every experience at like what's the human reality yes. and it's that the, they're there sometimes they have to stay if you look on any of those websites cause you do it for your family <laughs> Family members when they come in yes. town to visit like I want to go see Ellen you have to stay the whole day sometimes yeah. two three shows and yeah. it's boring and you can't always get up and pee and I, I always felt like we, they should do that with extras like working on film and TV yeah. sets where they're genuinely treated like cattle really disrespectfully because I mean thankfully, sometimes disrespectfully sometimes, sometimes not yeah I've always actually been around people or dare I say, interfered when I felt that they were. Because it's not okay to ask people to show up at 4.30 in the morning, stay till 2 in the morning, and then speak to them like they're children. It's pretty crazy. And and it's one of those slippery slopes where you can see... I just was on something where the, and it's that, it's, the, is it the second, second AD or the second yeah. AD? It's the, that's the, um, I mean, listen guys, we don't have to go through the hierarchy of show business for you, but the, that particular role of, it can either attract like a really great yeah, sort of managing multitasker yeah exactly or a, or a despot like a control. person who just wants to yell yeah and and doesn't yeah. have any respect for people like wants to be given the opportunity to be as disrespectful to others yeah or uh, like for even clarity the opportunity to be in charge 100 percent. and i also looking at it through the lens of human experience let's say that person is a really nice person they could have the responsibility to hurdle a hundred extras who actually aren't paying attention right. and they are stressed. Right. So I get it. There's from so ends. many variables that can create this sort of like Molotov cocktail of yes. a shitty day. But I also think that the oh. extras on sets are the ones that should be given free cars underneath their seats. I mean, not I necessarily agree. the ones on Oprah. I agree. Yeah. I had, I just had that moment where somebody was working and it was a, like a huge sprawling scene where you have, you know, a bunch of principals intermingled with extras and it's this, you know, the camera's tracking and all this stuff. So there's a lot of downtime and sitting 
And in my little cluster of me and a bunch of extras, this guy, that the guy that was in charge, second AD, um, came up and just started yelling and was yelling at me thinking that I was an extra. And it was just one of those like chilling moments where when I looked up and he realized I wasn't what he considered to be an insignificant person, he became a whole other and, person and, and I, that chilled took. me to the bone. And it was your description within like your role within the context of this job that made him realize he was speaking disrespectfully. Not that you're a living, breathing human right. with a pulse and right. you don't speak to people like right. that. You right. Know? Exactly right. Exactly right. Mm. But is that, yeah. I mean, that's something that, did you sort of grow up with in an environment where you saw, you know, your family, your parents treating people with respect and kind of, was that sort of like ingrained? Because that's something where I, my parents were like the chattiest, nicest, like they know everyone, they make every city they're in sort of a small town feeling. And part of it, I think is like what you're culturally exposed to when you grow up, you know? Yeah, I think you have to, well, this is, I mean, this is a big conversation because I, Having read a couple parenting books now, like I, I'm a firm believer that you have to discuss everything with your child. You can't just set an example mm. Um, mm. because you're risking them not absorbing it or yeah. um, interpreting it maybe in a different way. Right. And I mean, it, it, the, the topic that I read, I'll explain in a minute, but like particularly I, I explain to my kids why we're nice to people because we want to treat people how we want to be treated. And if I have a flat tire, I want someone to stop. If I'm on the street and I'm having a bad day, I would want someone to smile at me. Like you explain to them and you particularly, I explain it in good moments. Not this is the parenting show, but like when, you know, um, wasn't it so nice that your sister brought you that water cup? Doesn't that feel nice when people do things for you? You know, like you reiterate it that way and I it was funny the topic hot button hot, hot button everybody hot button alert I wish I had a buckle really, up d- like one of those that like just a terrible morning show yeah, yeah. <laughs> hot button um it was a t- uh, a chapter in a book called nurture shock which is my favorite parenting book nurture shock um and it was about how basically all of our instincts are wrong and it oh, really no. and I think I have decent instincts but it turned pretty much everyone uh-huh. on its head <laughs> It was the chapter was called "Why White Parents Don't Talk to Their Kids About Race." Oh shit! And it was, Already hot button. It was so eye opening because they said there is data that tells us we segregate. It's our evolutionary. Um, uh, what do you call like it? There's a, like there's a predisposed yeah. maybe reason that's so old survi- that it doesn't pertain anymore, but it's in there. It's an evolutionary survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. We are attracted to the like so that we are not attacked or in danger. So that means people of the same skin color, you are predisposed to be, you're not attracted sexually, but, but just gravitate towards them because they feel, without even consciously knowing it, they feel safer. And we have to fight that. And they, there was, they had done studies where they, I think, separated, kindergartners into like red t-shirts and blue t-shirts and then something about like by the end of the two weeks they were only playing with the same color t-shirt and they were saying that you can't just have friends of different races and have them at the dinner table and think that that's enough to show your kid that life is a rainbow and we should be nice to Hmm. everyone no matter what they look like you have to say you know Barack Obama is our first black president we've never had an African American president and um, that's very cool and now you know and you basically 
like talk, like our friend Monica comes over, she's Indian and we like put our arms together and say, look at um, Monica's skin tone is very different than mommy's and isn't it pretty? And it's like caramel and mommy's is more like white or peach. And anyways, I'm off on a tangent now, but it was like Not one of my all. most eye-opening experiences yeah. in the last like 10 years going, oh yeah, we constantly have to fight the fact that we are apes well 100 percent. and also like that's not even specific i mean that's that's so incredible to see in a parenting context but kind of the thing that is what 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 you're also saying when you talk about the idea of that needing to be explained to parents or to kids is that it's that's because we're still living in that world we're still living in a world where and that takes us all the way back to this sort of like how much good does it do to pretend and just go, well, I feel like we're past it, you guys, right? I mean, we're oh, yeah. we're at the place where, Both. like, everyone's cool, so I guess we don't need to talk right. about this in stuff. The- and also, it's still uncomfortable, so I can lean hard on the yeah. idea that I don't have to talk about it. Ha, ha, ha. Not just in the context of, like, the fact that you might not experience racism, so you are somehow allowed to pretend that it doesn't exist despite the rampant racism that still exists yeah. all over, but also just reminding yourself that we are predisposed. Like, there was also, I think it was a radio lab that was talking about categories in our brain mm-hmm. and it was saying that uh, I'm so obsessed with who we are evolutionarily mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. learning my subconscious predispositions and then fighting them to make myself who I want to be. That's yeah. like my mantra. It's a personal evolution that yeah. reflects a special revolution or yes. evolution. And I think we can get there and, and particularly with like things like this and the internet and sharing information the more we talk about things. But like you and I walk into this room and our monkey brains have to within a nanosecond say couch this is couch yeah couch won't kill my babies couch won't take my food this is couch okay great um that's tv tv won't kill me tv is safe you have to categorize people and racism is a like a stemmed evolution from that basically of saying like um the couch is this the tv is that they are safe people of color are this people of asian descent are this and you categorize them without even realizing it yeah and i was like Whoa. Yeah, totally. Totally. Our brains really want to find order. And that's where like, yeah, there was, I think there was a great radio lab on it. It was all about the sort of like that really nebulous line between what is just going to happen and needs to happen and is good to happen and is safe to happen, which is your brain fills in the information because we're constantly stimulated by so much that we can only hope to go okay i my expectation is this is going to be this because it's always been this but then that translates into i should be afraid of all black people because i've seen so many you know things on television about the police saying that it's always black folks who are da 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 and like all of that stimulation is getting in there and it just gets tied up in knots to the point where it's like what's real even if you don't think you do that you do that yeah even if you don't think you do we all want to think, well, it's the same thing. And it's the same thing when people are like, well, I'm past thinking of Barack Obama as a black president. I just don't like his ideals. Or I'm past thinking of Hillary as a woman. Right. That has nothing to do with it. That Again, it's naive. It's like, you can't, you can't, no. No. Although. You're not, no. You can, you can, you have to take that into account. That doesn't mean that you don't want to think of her as a person first. It doesn't mean that your intention is not to, but it. It is the reality. Right. And dare I say, it's not something that we need to even um, bring up as a, a def- like a, a defense trigger. Of yeah, saying, because then you people don't that. listen. You then it's like, how dare you? We are all predisposed Absolutely. to this. And you recognize it and you sort of like enter the conversation going, I actually have more information knowing that I have these triggers. 100%. By the way, 100%. does say a lot about our culture 
that we elected an African-American male before we ever elected a I white know. female. I know. Did you see the Amanda Knox documentary? Yes, yes, I did. I mean... I did. My husband had tweeted something uh, genius, which he always does, saying it does... It's easy to blame the villainous Nick Pisa, who is that, like, vomitous... Yeah. I can't even say the word journalist in regards to him, yeah. but let's just... Yeah. Give him his cake. He, yeah. he calls himself a journalist. Yeah. That we, when we as a culture were so interested in the slut shaming narrative yeah. and promoting that and just letting it run a roller coaster through yeah. our country, that we're the ones to blame. Like yeah. it's, it's looking in the mirror the reason that girl had the ride that she did. Absolutely. It's embarrassing. Absolutely. And with some, well, well, I was just thinking, I was thinking about that too. I was listening to, I'm sure it was a true crime podcast uh, because those are the only podcasts I listen to. I listen to science podcasts or like a radio lab or this American life. And then just uh, like the slew, the door that was opened by serial is just like continues to be oh, this and, flood and of we podcasts. I mean, side note, we were into it like very much before Serial because we've been obsessed with Keith Morrison from Dateline Forever mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. like murder porn is I don't know why it's so fascinating but it is like and we're fascinated by what we know shouldn't be well that's it it's the same thing we're talking about it all comes full circle because our brains want to understand and feel we have control over the uncontrollable and so if you have something terrifying that's a mystery or a puzzle especially when it leans into real life there's this part I think there's this part and that's something I didn't know about myself and these guys are probably tired of hearing about it but with the serial podcast where I was not a huge kind of true crime person although I I certainly had like a predilection like this like peripheral interest like well I could probably go real deep in that if I got into it but I didn't and then that because I was such a huge American Life fan this American Life and immediately it was like oh Sarah Koenig's my favorite person on that I'm gonna listen to whatever she does I love it and then I got into this crazy loop where it became clear that I think and I think it's true for a lot of people that I couldn't accept this broken mystery like I couldn't accept that this was possible I couldn't accept that our legal system could do this I couldn't accept that this this even happened to this poor girl yeah, the fact and so I an needed enigma, to like yeah. understand it so I was just like over processing it all the time and I think that's why a lot of particularly empathetic people are drawn to this sort of true crime stuff is like I have to understand this. I have to impact it somehow. Yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. know how, but at least listening to it and learning, I somehow feel like I'm part of a solution yeah, of some kind, yeah. you know? It's weird, but it is, you can't deny that it's interesting. And particularly if I could recommend Dateline, it's a fantastic program. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we, uh, Dax and I have seen pretty much every episode in that we're like, we jones for new episodes because every time we put it on the DVR, we've, already seen them and Keith uh-huh. Morrison is this like silver fox uh-huh. dressed in a, a leather jacket and he always he's got like his MO is leaning on things uh-huh. and he's always, like but if you actually google a picture of him you'll he's there are pictures of him leaning on barbed wire uh-huh. that always makes a joke that he leans on the wind and he can lean on fire but he's so oh, amazing. He, he he provides this layer of sort of salacious entertainment while not going into the territory of Nick Pisa you don't feel dirty you right. just because when he interviews his subjects he you he is invested, yeah. but his narration is incredibly poetic. So mm-hmm. he'll say things like one of my favorite quotes of his, his is he says like, uh, you would know if you were seated on the hot stove of desire. Oh, like when they were talking about some my. sort of affair. Sure. Murder. Sure. Anyways, we do love a, a To put a little time and care into it. There is a podcast that is fairly recent called uh, Accused. 
that is um, to me every bit as uh, engrossing as serial, but it's a very cold case. And the reason that it's a cold case took place in Cincinnati. And this journalist does such a great job of not unlike Sarah sort of insert. She's been a crime reporter for 20 years and, and she's sort of like, like trying to understand her own participation in it as a journalist normally wouldn't right in the old days before podcasts, which weren't so intimate, you totally remove yourself and you just like give the facts. But she had to sort of be honest and go like, well, I'm having nightmares every night. My husband is a little worried about me because I'm doing all of this research on murder and da da da. And so to have that, to feel that like understanding and empathy, even with her, as you were both experiencing empathy for the family and yeah. the sort of shock and awe at like how the police handled this case and stuff. It's a it's a gobbler upper. It's like okay. a have five hours because you will not want to put it down. You'll be like, uh huh, kids. I just need no, I need, but right. I, mommy's. You know, I got my earbuds in, so you know what that means. I'm gonna check it out. It's good. Accused. You know, yeah. Okay. There's also something beautiful about all of the this murder porn that we seem to be so obsessed with now but like there is something that's attractive and inspiring about the the sort of heroic nature of particularly when it's a cold case or like the Stephen Avery case like the exposure and the years that it took those documentarians to um to tell this story and to and to sort of bring it to light when it had been in the shadows for so long when this sort of you know whether he was falsely accused, no matter what you believe, you 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 sort of every time I watch one of those, I'm re-inspired with the power of filmmaking and storytelling yeah. in general. And it's sort of like that feeling of when like the internet first started, you know, 15 years ago, and everyone was like, "Wow, we could be like connected as a world. We yeah. could share stories." Like we saw the Arab Spring, like yeah. in that generation. Yeah, the the idea of us all talking about things is always for the betterment of our culture as humans. And yeah. so exposing those stories like Stephen Avery or like Amanda Knox or any or any of the ones on any of these podcasts or datelines, there's something about it that's, um, I don't know, inspiring when you see, you know, the old man who's like, uh, you know, Earl had been off the force for 16 yeah. years, but came in and yeah, he was haunted by this or, yeah, yeah. for two and a half yeah. years and he found the killer. It's like, oh, wow, there are good people that yeah. take their time with things and fight for justice. Absolutely. And you have the sort of you also have the kind of fictionalized personal experience version of that by having been on a show, right, that is this sort of beloved show about, you know, uh, by the way, you can have an impact in self mysteries, even well, as a teenager in high school. Yes, so uh, don't worry, everyone, because yeah, mysteries are meant to be solved. That's why they're so interesting. Yeah. And when they're not, that's why people get so frustrated. And that's I will give a, a spoiler alert slash forewarn about the accused uh, like serial. You don't walk away going like, Guess we did it, everybody. Like, case closed. Let's shut the book. But it's really, really worth listening to. Where did you grow up? Where were you a teenager? Detroit. Okay. So there's a, that's not necessarily a, uh, hey, everybody looks the same and there are no cultural differences to be seen. It was strange because I grew up about two miles outside of the city. Um, in a, it's a, uh, a city called Huntington Woods. That's a mile by a mile, though. Everyone called it Hanukkah Woods because it was all Jewish people. Wonderful. And I was the only Gentile. Literally. Uh-huh. I think there was one other. I'm sure you blended in otherwise though. Cause you look Jewish. Totally. Look Jewish. 
as our monkey brains are like, are we sisters? I trust you implicitly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll do anything for you. Um, and then I went to a Catholic high school that was down the road that was a third black, a third white, and a third Chaldean, which is a uh, like Arabic. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I grew up in a very colorful community, and nice. I don't necessarily remember my parents talking to me about race or about culture, but I definitely didn't grow up in the area of Detroit that was racist. Yeah. Um, whereas my husband grew up about 20 minutes above me in Milford, which is much more like you sometimes drive your tractor as your car, you one of your brothers probably makes meth in the garage. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, it, and he was definitely in an area where it w- there was more segregation and mm-hmm. there was just more, you know, general turmoil. Yeah. Did, um, do you have brothers and sisters? I have two older sisters. Did yeah. they both go to the same school? Was it sort no, of like a, went, we taught your sister? They went to the public school. Why did I, you go to the private school? Because my, my parents were divorced when I was like a year. Mm-hmm. And my father, when I was like three, married my stepmom who had those two girls. Got it. So I've known them since I've been two. So Yeah, I, they've always been in your life. They've always been in my life. Yeah. So I say my sisters and they are my sisters. Yeah. But they, um, it was sort of their mom's choice where they were going and they were going to the public high school. And then my mom felt really strongly that I should go to the Catholic high school. And it was it co-ed or it was... It was co-ed. Yeah. God, yeah. That makes a difference, huh? But yeah. then I talked to people who went to just like there were only girls and, and yeah. they loved it because they didn't have all these distractions or things yeah, that I was and, like, I could never. I. Yeah. I mean, I, I was grateful that it was co-ed, particularly because I had two really good girlfriends, but I was mostly, I wasn't a very girly girl and I was more attracted to like trying to be funny and dudes and hockey and, and I was just more of a tomboy. But like, again, my husband and I always say, like, in we have two little girls and we're perplexed as to how to raise them. We don't know what the F we're doing. Uh-huh. And, you know, people say, you know, whether it's grandparents, like, well, you don't want them to do this because this could happen. And you talk about all of these choices you could make from the time you're zero to the time you're 50. And let me tell you, my husband was a, a an alcoholic, a drug addict. He tried to get sober for 10 years. I mean, there he missed Christmases. He was lost for four days. You know, like yeah. there were, he had a crazy lifestyle compared to me. I was a goody goody. I studied music at NYU. I was on Broadway. Uh-huh. Like, and I was like, uh, I was, yet we had the same two children. We live in the same house. Mm. We make the same amount of money. Um, we have the same exact life. Mm-hmm. And we took very different roads to Absolutely. get there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's a reminder. Again, not that this is not that this is like a parenting podcast, but all, all the things I think now, I think through the filter of how do I teach my children and how did this affect me? Was I taught this? Was this right? Should I do this for them? Should I not? And really, it doesn't matter. Like my husband, yeah. the first year out of high school and his mom was like desperate to send them to college. She had pulled herself up from being a, a janitor at GM to owning her own business, working nights with three kids as a single mom, like yeah. crazy go-getter. And she was like, I will pay for college. Go for it. He was like, no, I just read on the road. I'm going to live in my car for a year. And he did. Yeah. And she was, you know, devastated. But again, he we're, we live in the same house. We have the same kids. Mm-hmm. You can take many different roads to get where you're going. And so whenever I hear people talk about, well, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, you know, we all have different roads and they could lead to the exact same place. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's again, that is another example of like, we try to, we want to believe that if we 
open up the rule book and flip to page six. Then we make this choice. Then we can go ahead and flip to page 22. Because it feels safe. Because it feels safe. And rather than just kind of going, well, you got to fight your monkey. What's, yeah, what's the core? Like, if the core value is just to love and be loved and be respectful and be present, because that's the other thing is like things are changing all the time. So if you have this hard and fast, like, well, this is how it works. You do it this way, then this way, then this way, and things are changing and fluid around you, then you're not doing anyone any favors because you're being rigid at a time when you should be the most kind of aware and going and looking around and going, maybe, maybe this, the exact opposite is actually turning out to be what is the best choice for these kids or, you know, involving them in this choice or whatever. Even as a 30 something going like, what's the best choice for me? Like, it's just a, a general consciousness. I find that I've found my consciousness like in the last five years and I'm so much happier of a person like living consciously absolutely as opposed to trying to follow this imaginary rule book was that something that like when you a couple of questions I want to ask number one is when you talked about kind of what you were interested in who you were as a teenager did that include in your mind the plan that kind of gets imposed on us socially and culturally, like, okay, I'll, at some point I'll get married. At some point I'll have oh, kids. Yeah. At some point, I said yeah. I, would, I was going to start having kids at 26. I would oh my God, you really, kids. you had the oh, numbers yeah, yeah. and stuff. I oh. had the numbers because I was never as a kid taught critical thinking. Mm. And it's funny. I was taught it as an adult by my husband because he questions everything, mm-hmm. every good choice that's made, every bad choice that's made, everything a newscaster says, no matter what it is, he says, well, and he plays devil's advocate. Yeah. And that idea of playing devil's advocate for a moment and not taking every story at face value really allowed me to find a, my own opinions sure. and be just learn how to digest information in a way that was helping me as opposed to me just being a lemming. Absolutely. You know, and it, it was, I found it impossible that I had gotten through 28 years of my life without ever thinking critically about any issue I'd come in contact with. Well, that's part of the kind of, um, it's not, I don't want to say burden, but you know, when Aisha did the podcast, we talked a lot about this idea of being comfortable with, with failure and, you can't control the circumstances in which you're raised. But like I was raised in a very, very different world than you were, but there were still things that came to the table for me being naturally good at stuff, looking like I looked, nothing that had anything to do with choices I was making. They were just sort of, it was kind of, those are the moments where you're like, life is happening to me because I'm being treated this way because I'm a girl or I'm being treated this way because I'm pretty or I'm being treated this way because, oh my gosh, I just had a natural aptitude for this thing. And it made me so afraid of being shitty at stuff. In a way that like I couldn't like I couldn't have even known then I look back on the fear that I didn't even know I had about stuff that I that was foreign to me on some level that I was like, well, like somewhere in my brain, it was like, well, if I try that and I'm bad at it, I must be a terrible person. Stick to what you know. Not even until you've just said this. Did I ever truly accept that that was a huge part of my life? But now that you're saying it, it feels uncomfortable familiar <laughs> yeah. to say that like yeah I was I was naturally good at singing so I was the lead in the play so when I was average at softball I quit immediately uh, or I my never sister. even my I sister. wanted to try out for tennis but I didn't because I couldn't hit the ball immediately and I was like well this isn't for me yeah. and and it I, wasn't like it's not that doesn't mean that you're like listen I'm amazing at xyz like it wasn't about being arrogant about anything it was just about how uncomfortable and scary and sad it felt to not 
to like fail at something. Yeah. When it's like it, it it's funny. I think, um, I can't remember who said, I think Dr. Drew had said it once about, again, relating it back to children that we, we're creating addicts because this idea that everybody gets a reward, everybody gets a medal, everybody gets a ribbon because everybody's a winner. You never allow kids to feel disappointment or failure. So when they leave your house at 18, they go to college, they take their first test, they fail, they drown themselves in a bottle of vodka and they go, Oh, that feels great. I'll just do that again. When, because you never spoke to them about it. And again, in that book, nurture shock, they, cited this study where they they had had um, like a bunch of, I think it was Chinese mothers and their children and American mothers and their children. And they gave like seven-year-olds a test and they uh, told them they failed it. And then they had um, uh, five minutes with their mother in between taking a second test. And the American mothers glossed over the failure and said, oh, well, you'll do better next time. How was soccer? And the Chinese mothers were more direct in saying, what did you think you did wrong? What could we study? And it sounded um, harsher Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the people collecting the data and the study. But when they reviewed the tapes, they saw that the physical intimacy was identical. Mm, Interesting. The child was receiving the same level of physical intimacy. The the mothers were touching their shoulders. They were making eye contact, all the things that makes it really make a child feel loved. But the Chinese mothers were, were basically allowing them, teaching them the value of hard work. Yeah. Do you feel like, because again, I don't have kids, but I I also feel like that's got to be for, for us being raised in the culture that we're raised in. And it's, and in many ways it does seem to be getting more and more kind of like, it's okay. You're the best. Don't worry. That's literally the worst thing for a child. And is it, and is it hard to fight against that when everyone around you is doing that and you have this like fierce, intense love, unlike anything you've ever felt before for a thing that's standing right in front of you. It, it almost feels like that could be for our culture the easy way out because it, it doesn't feel good to you. That's it it's like and it's I don't feel good saying this, so I guess I just won't say it. They're a projection of you. If my child fails, that's me failing. Mm. It's a projection of yeah. my own being, and you have to get okay. You have to become okay with failure in order to let your kids fail because no one ever grows up saying no one who has accomplished anything in their life goes, Oh, my childhood. Oh, it was a breeze. I never had any adversity. Right. Right. It was just peaches. No one says that You, you have to have adversity. You have to have disappointments. You have to have failures and you have to learn how to overcome. And the things that I ran screaming away from such a cliche, but those are the things that I'm most grateful for now. Like, Oh, I did get bullied. I did have to cut, like I did, my parents did go through a terrible divorce when I was at a really weird age and I was just upset and freaked out all the time. And like, I coped with humor and stuff and like that. I'm so grateful for that because I don't know exactly. I mean, I know my, both my parents, I have a lot of their characteristics, but I don't know what would have happened if those things hadn't happened. And I was even more naive than I was, you know, of just sort of like, I don't know, guys, I guess I'm just going to cheat on this math test because I don't really like math and I'm not good at it, but right, I know right. I have to get an A. So exactly. It's never going to go Who anywhere. told you that? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. What um, you were saying that when you were in high school, you, you were drawn to the kind of the music and the arts, but you also mentioned hockey. Were you, uh, did you play sports or was that just like something that you loved? Hockey is so foreign to me because I'm from Arizona. And so it was this oh, thing really? that I, 
you know, went most of my life thinking was only in Canada. Oh, the hockey, <laughs> like I really was like, I think that's just a Canadian thing. Were deities where I was from. Yeah. I grew up, they called Detroit Hockey Town. Nice. I had posters of all the hockey players in my room and they were, I mean, we didn't worship Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. We worshiped, you know, Chris Osgood and Chris Draper and Darren yeah. McCarty. And, and when I was in high school, the Red Wings were winning a lot and I played like, just after school with a bunch of guys and one girl in my grade, just like um, roller hockey, like in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. But then one afternoon that I did not wear my wrist guards, Um. I fell and I snapped both my wrists back and I (laughs) fractured both of them. And I stopped playing after that. I mean, I wasn't good by any stretch, but I did love, and I met my husband at a hockey game out here. Like I do love the sport. And I've never even been to a hockey game. Really? They're pretty fun. I mean, I don't really go to many sporting events anyway. Yeah, so I don't. That's part of it. I don't really like any other sports other than hockey. And I think at this point, it's really just the nostalgia because I don't really like the violence. I mean, I do understand that. Again, the men are monkeys, even more so than females are. Like uh-huh. they fight their primitive instincts uh-huh. more than anyone, and they got to get it out. But you know, the the in in my years as an adult, I recognize the brutality, like. And I'm like, guys, we shouldn't, can't this just be something where we don't have full contact? Right. Like, couldn't it be more of a ballet? Right. Or like a, <laughs> right. I don't know. Did you, was there ever a time <clears throat> when you, as a teenager, sort of, or even in your 20s, like went through that thing where you sort of, because I'm, I see myself now coming back with the nostalgia stuff to stuff that there was like a good chunk in my life where I fought against it and I don't know if I fought against it and that was the right thing to do and now my nostalgia has taken over or if it was just this sort of separation from childhood of like yeah that I I felt passionate about that but now I'm taking this giant step away from it and being contemptuous of it and then coming back around or do you feel like you've sort of stayed consistent with passions and like enthusiasm I feel like I've stayed pretty consistent I've always been really attracted to music like first and foremost and it was the reason like I studied operatically when I was young when I was like 11 and 12 and then I was I mean that's a big like that's again that's a sort of otherworldly I mean most 11 10 11 year olds aren't thinking about opera yeah but I I loved it I loved singing I I've always been like this I've had this weird tick as a mimic it's the whole reason I'm an actor because I it's funny because my husband always looks over and laughs or hates it while we're watching television, particularly when there are accents or someone says something in a certain way. I have to repeat it. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, have to repeat it. When we too. watch Game of Thrones, it's like it's like it's so uncomfortable for him because I'm just under my breath repeating every line. <laughs> And he's like, That's you great. have to keep it down. And I can't stop yeah, it. I, yeah. I actually cannot stop it. And yeah. I do it when I'm in the car and I'm listening to the radio. And I just have this tick of imitation. And I always have when I was a little kid. I, always. And I think imitating people and then piecing those stories together as a mosaic to play characters is how I've become an actor. And music, I'm particularly attracted to like melodic um, Mm -hmm. uh, mimicry. Yeah. When someone says like, oh, I'm good. And like in my head, I immediately go, oh, I'm good. Like, yeah. And it's so simple, but I, it's a trigger in my brain. I can never shut off. Yeah. And I was always attracted to music because I could repeat it or sing it I could hear it and then sing it and 
um, I was given like this Stephen Sondheim song called Green Finch and Linnet Bird from um, Sweeney Todd as after school homework. And it was like I was singing only in Italian and it was in English and I could understand what the girl was talking about. And I was like, oh, my God, musical theater. I love it. Sure. And I started doing nothing but musical theater. And then it wasn't even like an epiphany to study it or be an actor. It was I just went into the, the you know, the your college um advisor's room when you're 16 and they say well what do you like studying and I was like I like music and theater he goes well you could study musical theater and Uh I was like great okay and he was (laughs) like next yeah and then I that's what brought me here I never chased after anything else yeah um I had also heard if you have a fallback career you will fall back yeah and I don't know if I was lazy and didn't take that seriously because I wasn't interested in anything else or if I took it very seriously and just like kept trucking one of the two. But mm-hmm. um, somehow I've been able to support myself doing musical theater and now acting. So, But having that little grateful. part of your brain that just sort of is a machine in there that's like, yep, yep, for whatever reason, I recognize this. There's something about it that feels totally definable and understandable because that really is having that natural aptitude for music is one of those kind of specific things where people like people say that's there are elements of that that can't be learned no matter what. And so to someone else that same hearing the same thing as like, this is might as well be a language that I'll never speak. I just can't connect with it in any kind of a a deep way. And I think everyone enjoys music, but I'm also, I'm very auditorily sensitive. Mm. So I'm aware of all, like I'm aware of the birds chirping outside that are, do you hear those little yeah. guys? Like I'm aware of every and that's a cu- thing that cuts through too, right into your, yeah, yeah. Like I can't have a conversation when there's music on in the car. Dude, how about crowded bars and restaurants? No, 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 no. I like get so hyper stimulated that I'm like, yeah, I, I, I can eat. It's like nails on a chalkboard. It's just hard. I have to turn the radio down. I can't even like, if you have low soft music, I can't have a discussion if there's music on yeah. because there's such a big part of my brain and it's particularly music, although certainly talk radio as well. But anytime there's music on, I, such a big portion of my brain focuses on yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, Oh, uh Oh, this is important. This is the thing I should be paying attention yeah, and to. I, 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 I can't actually string together thoughts. Yeah. I totally understand that. Did you feel that way about like contemporary, like rock and blah, blah, blah. I never sounded more square when I said that. Uh, did you like rock and roll in addition to <laughs> Ooh, musical theater? Was that a, did, was it, or was it, was it scary? Cause it was so edgy. I mean, uh, I was always, you know, it was weird for me. The, the excitement was the combination of, um, music and me being involved. It mm-hmm. wasn't just listening to music because I don't, despite loving music so much, I don't love live music. Yeah. I don't love going to concerts. Um, but me being involved and being being able to tell a story through music or interpreting something is what appeals to me yeah. the most. Do you have the feeling of itchiness that a lot of uh, those of us who improvise can't see improv shows because there's this, it's not like it's a self-centeredness of like, I should be the star of this, but it is this muscle that's like, I need to participate. I want to participate. Or is it just like, I'm, I know I'm not participating and I'm, and I'm, and it's just not, it's not getting in the same way as if I were participating. Sometimes both. I mean, I, I would choose to go see a musical theater. Like I'd go see South Pacific before I would go see, um, a concert at the Greek. Gotcha. Um, because I very much like a store, a full story being Mm -hmm. told, but yes, I will be imitating every single one of those characters from my seat. Yeah. I do the same thing. Like if it's like, if I go to a concert, it has to be an acceptably loud enough concert that it's okay if I'm singing 
along yes, and no one yeah. is next to me is going to be bothered by that because maybe I can't. Everyone has it. Like uh, maybe, maybe we do. Maybe yeah. we're not People special. People love singing along all. with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's maybe probably we are not unique in the. Everyone's slightest. just nodding like, yeah, guys. Um, that's every person who Can goes to see a band. They, they like it. About that. Everybody feels that way. Get over yourselves. It's called music, and we all enjoy it. Um, did you have? You said that you had crushes on uh, on hockey players. Did that extend to like? And not Brad, you know, not those sort of Brad Pitt superstars, but did that extend into music too, where you were like, because that's for me, high school was that like very important key time where I felt like lyricists who were writing songs that truly understood me were more important to me than, you know, somebody who was just like behaving this way, acting as this person was less sexy to me than like, I mean, he really gets how I feel or he or she is yeah, like just I've putting all, it all on the page yeah. for me. I mean, I've always been obsessed with Stephen Sondheim and there was this fantastic documentary about him a couple years ago that really just like cracked open his brilliance. And I, I do love musical theater writers, but I also like when I moved to New York when I was 17 and a half, almost 18, I guess, I was just obsessed and fascinated with the Broadway community. And I was like at the TKTS booth like every other night trying to get cheap tickets to see something and just loving it and like volunteering to usher just so that I could see shows and I that whole culture was I was so obsessed with it and they were but the Broadway community was far more important to me than movie stars or even hockey players at that point yeah oh oh it's time for a quick break I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun Oh, darling, why won't you accept my love? My dear, even though you are a duke, I could never love you. You, you borrowed a book from me and never returned it. (gasps) Save yourself from this terrible fate by listening to Reading Glasses. We'll help you get those borrowed books back and solve all your other reader problems. Reading Glasses, every Thursday on Maximum Fun. I'm Emily Heller. And I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And we're the hosts of Baby Geniuses. We've been doing our podcast for over 10 years. When we started, it was about trying to learn something new every episode. Now it's about us trying to actively get stupider. And it's working. (laughs) Hang out with us and you'll hear us chat about... Gardening. Horses. Various problems with our butts. And all the weird stuff that makes us horny. That's so weird, all that stuff. (laughs) Baby Geniuses, a show for adult idiots. Every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses, we know everything. Baby geniuses, tell us something we don't know. Here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, normally, if we had like all the time in the world, I would probably wait a little longer to get into this. But I want to um, stay true to the time, the amount of time that I promised both of us, because I know we're both uh, frenzied. I do this mash game: mansion, apartment, shack, house. I don't know if you ever played that as a um, young person. Yeah, only okay, every day great. in middle school. So that is what we're about to do. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to take, I'm going to make categories. You know, you're going to give me three examples from each category I give you, but I'm going to try to take categories that I think will be fun for you based on what I know about you rather than just like, what kind of car would you drive okay. as you would do in the old days? So the first one is, and this is also might as well be called the game of you wish you had said something different uh, 50 minutes from now when you're like, oh, why didn't I say blah, blah, blah. Okay. But it is, it's a, it's a sort of a free association. I live with so. a lot of regrets, so I don't, this doesn't bother me wonderful. at all. I'm wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay. So here's the first one. The first one will be uh, three musicals that as yet do not exist that you 
somehow in this alternate universe have time to sort of pen and create and put out into the world. And it can sort of be like, oh, a musical about this, like toothbrushes or, oh God, I would love to see a sequel to Wicked or maybe there is one. I'm not, I actually don't know that much about musical theater anymore, but um, like, so three, three musicals that would be fun. And then you would of course get to be in them as well. Um, a musical version of whatever happened to baby Jane. This is what I'm talking about. This is how the game is played. A musical, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Great. God, I can't believe that's not. That's a no-brainer. you got to get on that. Right? Um, oh, wow. What would my third one be? Side note, I'm, there's part of me that's like, listen, it sounds like there's part of Dax's life that would be really amazing to see in musical Yeah, form. I mean, just the musical ah. of Dax. Let me see. Um, oh, when, when Animals Take Over. Oh, great. Great, 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 great. Okay, next one is three places, uh, but not not like real places. They can be real places, but they have to be sort of fantastical in terms of having a vacation home there. So rather than saying Fiji, you could say, you know, the Dagobah system, but you could also say like underwater or, but in, in some realm that isn't just like, oh, this one, you know, Paris or something. So three vacation homes. Let's pretend getting there obviously is no problem, um, but it can be, you know, Lord of the Rings world can be. Oh, wow. Um, well, let's go Bravos from Game of Thrones. Love it. Um, and their, Bravos? I, their idea, it's like the big city center. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This is, not, this is supposed to be where I want to live, right? I'm not going to say like Slaver's Bay or anything, right? Like this is where I want to yeah, live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Bravos. Um, wow. Um, maybe just living in a, uh, like, on the tops of the trees in the jungle, like those animals or those birds or those monkeys that really never, ever come down. strong feeling you were going to do a treetop thing. Yeah, I can't. Treetops, I, I was sure. like, I just had a feeling. Okay. Treetops. And then... Whoville. Great. Great, great. Great, great, great. Uh, perennial favorite. Three things. I lean heavily onto the food side, but it doesn't have to be that for you. That in this world we live in... Uh, to, to do an excess, to have an excess would have a negative impact on your body, on the way you feel, on your psycho, psycho, you're like, it's sort of a, have a psychological effect that, um, that isn't great. But in this world, it can be like, oh, this one deep dish pizza I had at Chicago one time, snap of the fingers, it's right in front of you. And there's, it, it's like good for you rather than being bad. Ooh, Haagen-Dazs chocolate peanut butter. Wonderful. That's the one that peanut butter tastes like peanut butter, doesn't it? And you know what? Like I'm obsessed with ingredients and what plastics are leaching into our waters. Those are the two things that I'm really hot on and have been for 10 years. But that the Hagen does ingredients. There's like six ingredients. There's like nothing in it. You can pronounce what's in it. Peanuts, oil and salt is what that is made of. Believe me. And the what I do when I open one, which I rarely do, but sometimes I do. I eat all the peanut butter swirl out. Yeah sometimes toss the chocolate just sift through it sift right through it get in there to where the good stuff is so it doesn't have to be a food yeah doesn't have to be so it could be yeah it doesn't have to be it can be a, it could be a behavior just something like glorious okay that moment um where you wake up but you know you can go back to bed oh great like mid-sleep oh fantastic. yeah middle earth as far as yeah, sleeping yeah. goes. yeah wonderful 
That is great. Um, and then the emotional equivalent of snuggling. Great. Like in a pile of puppies. <laughs> great. Puppy pile. Yeah, in a puppy we pile. We all know puppy pile. All right, listen, I got to get this out of the way. All due respect to your wonderful husband, whom I know you adore. This is a MASH game. So this oh, is good, alternate okay. universe. Wow. Crushes, it can be a fictitious person. It could be a character from Game of Thrones. It could be an actor from Game of Thrones. It could be a, a novelist from the 1300s. Uh, but but and, but then this alternate universe is, it could be kind of alternate universe companion or just sexy times, depending on who Pedro it is. Pascal. Okay, great. Very great. Who, you know... Uh, pledged to be Tyrion's champion on Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and is also on Narcos, who is mm-hmm. just... Whew, yeah, he's, he's my number sexy. one. Oh, he's so very sexual. Very sexy. Um, oh, wow. See, I feel like I would also just choose his two other characters. It's um, <laughs> a good way around the game. That's like uh, fixing the system. Um, can I choose Zax or no? It's an alternate universe. I can't. Mm, it's an alternate, but boy, that's very sweet. But then aren't you going to feel bad if you don't get him? Now that he's no, because I accept my destiny. Uh, oh, but I have to choose right him now. because his brain is so perfectly matched for That's my brain. So like we complement each other to such a degree. Yeah. You know, it, it's like he, we are yin and yang. Um, okay, and then um, hmm, how about what's his name on uh, the character? Who plays the husband on The Americans? Oh God, yeah, uh, David. He's an Irish actor. In yeah, life, yeah, and he's yeah. Carrie Russell's husband, I think. Oh, is he really? I think so. I think they got married. His character on it's what is his so name? So great. Oh God, it's tough because they all they have so many different names, and of course his fake name is Clark, which I can hear the other actress that he's fake married to Martha? saying Clark. Yeah, I can hear Martha saying Clark. Martha's the best actress on television. And is British. Alison Wright. Amazing. Literally the best actress on television. Amazing. Yeah. I I should have chosen her, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Yeah, whatever Clark's... What is his name? I know his his other non-Clark. Non-Clark. We'll just call him non-Clark. Mr. American. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know what? Let's give... Let me give Allison a chance in here. Three uh, women that you don't know that uh, you admire who become uh, your dear chum in this Definitely Allison, right. Let's throw her in. And this could be anyone living or dead. You get the living version of them, not the zombie version. Laura Logan. Who's Laura Logan? She's a 60 Minutes correspondent. Wonderful. I'm very embarrassed that I don't know She's my fave. Allison, right. Laura Logan and... And I can't know them. Hmm. Problematic that I have so many female friends I actually do admire. How about, okay, this woman, uh, Mary Beth Williams, who's my favorite writer from Slate. She writes for Slate. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Slate's great. Yeah, she rules. Mary Beth Williams, fantastic. Okay, uh, next category is... Let's do alternate universe careers. So you have this sort of alternate universe version of yourself. Dog who has the time. Great. 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 And can I I can be really good at it? Mm, oh yeah. Chef. That goes without and I'm saying. Really good. Goes without saying. Master Great. Chef. Please Great. write Master Chef. Chef, comma, master. Yes. Excellent. And therapist. Great. Um, very different and great. Uh okay, next category. We're getting close here. Next category is maybe like a hobby that yeah, you sort of wake up tomorrow and you have 
this incredible gift and talent and enjoyment of three hobbies that uh, as two, four, you have not really been able to dive into and may never. It could be like flying a plane. I don't know. You might be an aviatrix, but uh, really, really interesting, fun hobbies. Professional gymnast, like where I could flip just standing. Mm -hmm. Like you would take everyone by surprise. Ground. Like, oh, because yeah. no one saw it Like coming. I would be standing next to you and all of a sudden I'd be standing in front of you because yeah. I would have flipped <laughs> like borderline over your fucking head. X-Men. It's fabulous. Yes. yes. Um, race car driver and scientist. Yeah. Because I would really like to have accomplished a study that actually positively influences the human race. Agreed. Agreed. It's fantastic. This is good because the hobbies and the careers, all they sort of all intermingle. So it'll be interesting to see which one you get from each category because it might be that you have a very, very busy life, even busier than you have now. Okay, final category is, again, none of this is planned. So that's where I bump up against the final one where I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself. Um, what about... I'm going to go with visiting another time. So it's not... And this, it's, this is like, then it gets like, oh, here's so, there are so many um, disclaimers to this, but it's not like, I don't want you to think of going, unless it it becomes an important thing. Like I want to see how women were treated in the frontier, but versus the sort of like fictionalized version of what's amazing about getting to visit Paris in the twenties or the Mayflower landing or the, the humankind crawling out of the swamp or whatever. It's hard for me to go back in time because things really did used to be shit. And like, but in the last 20 years they've gotten so like exponentially better, just like extreme poverty rates and how women are treated and how races are treated. But, um, I would say riding the Oregon trail. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. But like with showers, like if we were able to RV through the Oregon Trail. Sure. Um, Definitely Jetson's world. Yeah. And then, I mean, this is probably so cliche, but there is something so attractive just like about the free love 60s. Yeah, Everybody was like, bras, who cares? Yeah. And I think something would be, it would be so interesting to be coming from our time to witness that because... you're you're coming in front loaded with information that the other people around you don't have. And I feel like there would be, it would be very interesting because I feel like I would have such an affection for the young people, like, like to sort of even people who are older than me now, but like the sort of awakening of that or like realizing that you can impact your society in this whole new way or realizing you have the freedom to do X, Y, Z. I do feel like I would be like, Oh my God, this is so, wonderful you yeah guys, like going back to like so hair wonderful. like the yeah. like hair and just saying like you guys got it Your yeah parents are idiots yes Things absolutely are gonna get better. Keep absolutely fighting. couldn't agree more uh okay so in order to figure out what thing you end up with uh i just need you to of course tell me when to stop stop okay i'm gonna pause this do some incredibly easy math that I don't even think really qualifies as math. And I'll come back with your 100% guaranteed MASH future. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm very pleased with these results. <laughs> I got to figure out a way to not sound like a doctor giving a prognosis. No, I'm going to... Let me lay- put this up on my x-ray uh, I'm going to lay down on the couch. Great. Like- Great. Uh, so we have the results from your brain test. Yes. Kristen, I am very pleased to tell you, first of all, that you enjoy a wonderful mansion okay that is the best 
you can get. You did not get a shack, yes. apartment, or house. You received a mansion. What luck. In Bravos, no less. Oh my, this is karma. I mean, this is this, this is, is good karma. Of, that's a fabulous life already there for your vacation home. Uh, I don't know if you were able to uh, make that happen because of your fantastic life-altering work as a scientist. <gasps> Or your fantastic life-altering work as a dog petter. <laughs> a scientist dog petter is truly what I've dreamt about. Well, this is what we are looking at together, Somehow you Somehow there would be such purpose when I pet those dogs. That's right. All the molecules, all mm-hmm. the atoms interacting between be fingertips and something. fur. Mm-hmm. There's magic happening there. No, de- no doubt about it. And yet utterly enjoy my career. Absolutely. Well, there you go. And, uh, and, and this actually makes sense because your incredible work in both of those fields is what led you, of course, to uh, create, write, star in the musical about when animals take over. <gasps> so you see how all of those things are interconnected. There's really no question give that they're related to one another. Got to give them a voice. Uh, I don't know what life is going to be like in our uh, Jetsons future. our 50s kooky like old meets new jetson's future but uh i encourage you to uh, share with the world what that experience is like you know who could help you report on that is mary beth williams your bosom friend my best buddy uh who with whom i have to believe you eat lots of haagen-dazs chocolate peanut butter ice cream maybe she likes the chocolate part and you like the peanut butter we're match made in heaven speaking of match made in heaven someone ended up with their real life husband Dark <gasps> Shepherd. I knew it. It was. It, I was us. very moved when I got to that and and found out that that was uh, what was happening. The bond is too strong. The bond is too strong. I can't listen. Mash can't deny it. Right. This is this is this is science. This you want to talk science? Exactly. This is science. Uh, very well done. Oh, very well done. I feel done. great about my future. You should feel great about it. Um, do you now? You have a new show that's coming out. Um, did it yes, premiere already? It, it did. Just premiered. It just premiered. Um, this is what I know about it. You and Ted. Yeah. Yellow billboard. Correct. It takes place in the afterlife. It's called The Good Place. Wonderful. It's essentially about um, a jerk that gets into heaven. Great. It's our creator, Mike Schur, who's the genius behind Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Fantastic. And, and Parks and Rec. And yeah, this is a magical combination years. right here. Yeah. The three of he, you already. He's been obsessed with the idea that what if life were a video game we didn't know we were playing and you got points for everything. And there are wonderful pause worthy moments in the show where like there's an introduction video that Ted is doing and it talks about all the points you got and why you got into the good place as opposed to the bad place. And it's like uh, it's like hug a stranger, five points, tell a female to smile, negative 10 points, Uh (laughs) never, never discuss veganism unprompted plus 200 points. That's They're great. really fantastic. And um, I the, shooting the show is such a joyful experience for me. So I hope it runs 100 million years um, because Ted is a dreamboat. What a and, divine. And did you meet Mary at all? Because she's oh, also just like, did you guys discuss music? Yes. Okay, good. And she is I'm so incredibly fascinating yeah. with all yeah. of her. I, I mean, would love to. I got it. I got to try to get her on because. Yeah, her it's story such is such a story. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. but I love the show, and you know, it's on NBC on Thursdays at eight thirty. We've had four episodes air, but you can catch them all on NBC.com or Hulu. And I'm really, really proud of it. I mean, not particularly because of anything I've done, but because it actually fuses my two favorite subjects, which is comedy and really 
discovering what it means to be a good person. Absolutely. You, it's funny too, because you and Ted both are, <laughs> it, you have the good fortune, but also the sort of like, Oh yeah, no. Okay. Of having been on these, like you just make great choices. And so you're on great stuff. And so there's a continued possessiveness by the general public and expectation of like, I know Kristen's going to do something good. Uh, because she owes me because she continues to make good choices. So if she was on something bad, I would feel that that was a personal front against me. I feel like that's how people are about Ted and you. Do you know what's so weird is that Ted and I discuss this all the time. Neither of us know how to choose squat. We simply find the smartest person in the room. Well, I, we say, can I be involved in whatever you're working on? Not agree more. And when I heard this pitch from Mike, like, a year and a half ago, I was, my jaw was on the ground because I mean, the whole, the context of the show is that this clerical error, this asshole gets into heaven and I realize very quickly they think I'm someone else and everything I do, all my selfish behavior, which comes out in everything I do, starts to make the afterlife malfunction. So everything oh, is going wrong and everybody's searching for what the problem is, what's off. Like it could be a blade of grass. It could be, you know, anything. And, you know, Ted is the architect of the neighborhood that's like hunting whatever is the problem, trying to find it. And I have to hide my identity oh, and basically learn how to be this is great. ethical and a good person in but mostly for the most selfish reason at least initially which is exactly. like how and do i we disappear discuss that too like where like and you he, and you know mike brings up like all of the like original like emmanuel kant and and yes. Pedro and like all of these ideas no why, these are huge societal yeah. questions and sort of that idea of like how do you fix something broken because you were so sure it could never break that when it does you don't know yeah. what you don't know and you're just like i don't know we thought everything was and like why great. we need each other what we owe to each yeah. other as human beings how we can coexist when safely. is a selfish act still good for everyone when is it altruism exactly. when is it it and hurts you but it helps someone else and like the it's problems great. with that it's like great. it's yeah it's just um there it's such an interesting topic to me and the fact that i'm basically undercover the, the during the show having to hide my identity like just creates stakes and it's it's just um i love the material so 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 much guys you know I'm going to be furious if you're not watching it. Just, I have like a look of disgust Guys, on my come face. on. Thinking about choosing not to watch this show makes and me really, angry. And really, you don't even have to watch the show. You'll just enjoy you're just going watching to. the show. You know what? Yeah. Why am I, why am I putting a ne- negative spin on this? You guys are going to love it. You already do. I'm not even worrying about it. I'm not even worrying about it. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. You really are snuggled up on my couch. It's uh, it's a pleasure to see someone use it for use what the it's space. For. Yeah, really use, make them really use the I space. I my shoes off right when she I came really in. She really uses space. That's good feet. stuff. <laughs> Listen, does this house invite uh, anything otherwise? No, I, I you gotta feel so get comfortable right with you because we look alike. I know, <laughs> and that's my subconscious. I'd like to give you fifty thousand dollars. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on why. <laughs> Just, I, I need like, you yes. to be in my family. That's it. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, remember when we could save kittens from trees? Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported. Directly. By you.